an inside look at the restaurant industry and entrepreneurial insight to help you succeed. It's the Paper Trails Podcast with Albemarle Paper Supply. All right, guys, how are you? We are back with the Paper Trails Podcast, episode 17. And so I'm your host, Nick Caligaramitros, and uh, thanks for plugging in, listening. You know, whether you guys are uh, plugging in and listening via Spotify, via Apple Podcast, or if you guys are watching us uh, with our YouTube channel, thanks for plugging in. Appreciate you guys. If you guys are new, if you guys don't know, the Paper Trails Podcast is all about business ownership, entrepreneurship, um, and all about the food industry, you know? And so uh, we are super pumped to have our guest, John Dressler, in. Nick, how are you? And so good, good. Thanks for coming on and hanging with us. I appreciate it. Appreciate and you so coming thanks down for, to the house. Yeah, thanks for hosting us here here at your home. And, Pleasure. Uh, uh, last day here, and so, but uh, not technically. We get to rent back for a month. That's right. That's right. Legally, that's, the last day. Legally, here the, the last owner. day. So, so yeah, John, John, his family are uh, are moving. But uh, but anyway, we're super pumped to have him. We have some mutual friends, which is how we got connected. And so, um, you know, John is an entrepreneur. Him and his family have you know owned restaurants for many many years. And um, you know, we had done a, a few episodes ago. If you guys want to go back and uh, and watch. You know, BNA Food with uh, Jeff and uh, Bill. We had a fantastic conversation about uh, business and 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 entrepreneurship, and um, we had a blast. And Bill was like, "You got to get connected to John. You guys would have a great conversation." And I said, "Okay, let's do it." So cool. appreciate it. Um, absolutely. So um, so yeah. I mean, maybe for the few people, maybe that you know don't know you yet, John. You know, let's let's chat a little bit about maybe some of your background, where you're from, and then maybe we can transition to how you got into. Um, you know, into the restaurant business. Sure. Well, uh, I'll give you the brief bio. I was born in D.C., raised in Philadelphia, 10 years on the Jersey side, 10 years on the Pennsylvania side. Okay. Uh, attended uh, high school in the Valley Forge area. So I definitely consider myself a lifelong Philadelphian. I uh, went to Penn State for undergraduate school. It was the only school I applied to. It was the only place I wanted to go to school. That's it. You just want Penn it. State was it. That was it. Got in. Uh, I was happy, happy to be there. Um, spent four years on the main campus. Uh, graduated Penn State 1989. Uh, the only graduate school that would let me in in the country was in Dallas, Texas. University of uh, Texas had a campus in Dallas. Okay. So I went down to Dallas for about uh, two years. How was eight. that? How, how was Texas? Oh, it's great. Uh, you know, as we like to say in Texas, uh, acres and acres of acres and acres and miles and miles and miles and miles. Uh, it's uh, either love it or you hate it in, in Dallas because there's nowhere to run, there's nowhere to hide, there's no mountain, there's no ocean, there's there's... Dallas. That's it. Did uh, you like it? Concrete jungle. I loved it. I, I'm, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. So wherever nice. I am is home and wherever I am, I'm happy. So um, spent about three and a half years in, in Dallas. Okay. Uh, decided up and moved to San Francisco. Spent about six months in San Francisco. Okay. Um, when, of, when is this? What, what years is this? This is now, I moved Christmas Day 1992 from Dallas to San Francisco. Okay, so early and, '90s. How was how was San Fran early '90s? Oh, it was a great place to be. Yeah, it was a great place to be. I've I've never been. I've been Midwest. Right. I've been Michigan, Chicago, Memphis, Nashville, Alabama. I've never. Correction. Last year, last September, my cousin got married. He moved to Scottsdale, Arizona. Sure. It's the only place I've I've never been. Cali though. Well, California. I, I mean, you got to remember in San Francisco, you're on the ocean. Um, the mountains are not far away. You can get to Tahoe in about three hours. Okay. Monterey, you can get to in about an hour and a half. Wine country is about an hour. So you talk about proximity and, and just location and, and, Great and location. the city of San Francisco is just absolutely spectacular. It's a landlocked city, so it's a million people. 
in, in 20 years later, there's a million one people because all they can do is build vertically. So it's a really cool place to be. It's a cool place to be for young people. Um, I only lasted about six months because it's easy to run out of money in San Francisco. I've heard. Um, I've heard. We lived in Lower Pacific Heights, or as we used to like to say, Upper Pacific Heights, Upper Class, Lower Pacific Heights, Lower Class. We were definitely in Lower Pacific Heights. Uh, made it about six months there, uh, ran out of money, moved to Chicago. Okay. I uh, had three job interviews in Chicago. This is now mid-1993. Uh, Anderson Consulting, which was degree-specific. Okay. Uh, the Chicago White Sox, which was my passion. <coughs> Okay. And Morton Steakhouse, which was my practical work uh, experience. So I took the gig at Morton's um, May 25th, 1993 as a server. Okay. So uh, now you studied finance, it sounds like? I have an MBA in finance and an undergraduate degree in sports management. But, but you grew up in the restaurants? I... Or you worked jobs at the restaurants? I, I was a dishwasher. When I was 16 years old, I was a dishwasher for Denny's. Okay. And I did that for about two, almost two and a half years in high school and thought, you know, what a great gig. You stand around and wash dishes and guys feed you and what a great life. Um, <laughs> my, my freshman year in college, at the end of the summer, I went and worked in a restaurant in Atlantic City. And I was the night busboy and the day waiter. Okay. And I thought, wow, what a great job. I was a busboy. I can just take these plates and give them to the dishwasher, and I get to work in the air conditioning and make more money. So um, kind of moved along in the process, uh, did some serving. Uh, sophomore year in college, I took a job at Steak and Ale as a server. Okay. Um, did that for several months, and then I would come back and forth during breaks. Uh, in graduate school, I took a job as a server in a barbecue restaurant in okay. Dallas. It was okay. one of the top two or three barbecue restaurants uh, in Dallas. So it was great, great money. You know, I'd work about 20 hours a week, make about 25 bucks an hour. So, nice. That's not bad at all. Yeah, 500 bucks a week as a, as a single guy with um, about $400 a month in living expenses. And this is late this 80s? Is, this is now 89, 90, 91. It's great money. School. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> I, I took a vacation once a month. Yeah, I don't blame Because in, in Dallas, you could fly to either coast for 200 bucks. So I'd go somewhere and play golf. I'd meet some friends. I'd you know, do whatever. So it was, it was, a, it was a cush gig. And I like that. So I kind of got, got used to that oddball hour. Okay. Having flexibility. I always enjoyed that. You know, people always lament about the restaurant business. But, you know, it's all oh, terrible. You guys work terrible hours. We work different hours. Yeah. To me, getting up at seven o'clock in the morning and, and putting on a suit and driving downtown is terrible hours, right? Because you, you wait in line to get downtown pre-COVID. You wait in line to get to your office in traffic and then yeah. you go to lunch at noon and you wait in line for lunch and then you wait in line at five o'clock to go home and then you wait in line on Saturday to eat in a busy restaurant. You know, when you work in the restaurant business, you do what you want when you want. Certainly you have to work nights, but uh, I'm a golfer, so while people are working, I'm on the golf course Tuesday yeah. at 9 o'clock in the morning. While people are waiting for a, a table in a restaurant at 7.30 on a Saturday, I'm working. But I can go out Tuesday night whenever I want. Yeah. So, you know, life is really about perspective, what you make of it and, and really enjoying what you've signed up for rather than saying, oh, gosh, I really wish I could or, man, that's I'm missing out on. I, I don't miss out on anything. We work nights and weekends and holidays, but it's fine. There's other holidays we're off. There's okay. nights we're off. There's yeah. weekends we're off. Yeah. Um, if I was off 52 weekends a year, I wouldn't go out 52 weekends a year. Yeah. Um, so you can pick and choose and take some time off. So I like that. See, that's a that's a very good perspective. That that 
you know, uh, people may not think or, you know, I mean, it's, um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the stigma is that for restaurants. I mean, you know, if a lot of you guys know, you know, our, our, our subscribers and watchers that my family, I grew up in the business too. And sure. Every week, I mean, I literally remember, John, I think I may have gone my high school career maybe to two football games, right. maybe, because every Friday we were working. Right. I was helping out my dad. Like, I, I, right. I knew that he needed help, and being the oldest of three, I was like, I'm, I've got to help. Like, right. it wasn't even like he made me. I wanted to. Right. I wanted to, you know, and so, you know, whatever needed, you know, the to-go room, taking orders, helping the, the, the wait staff, I mean... Um, but it's a good perspective. It's a very good perspective because we have other perks, you know, where you can sleep in, you can go golfing, you can eat breakfast with your significant other every day. If, I mean, you know, obviously depending on the restaurant that you have. Okay, sure. I mean, I'm, I get it. But sure. um, but anyway, so so you had so, I mean, obviously you you chose the steakhouse when you moved to Chicago, but you, you had experience. I mean, you were you were in the business. Yeah, I had about nine years of experience at that time, and you know, I I looked at the gig at Anderson Consulting, which was wake up in the morning, take a shower, drive downtown, work in a cube, twelve yeah. hours a day, yeah. five days a week at a minimum. Yeah, just wasn't going to sign up for that. You were like the job with the Chicago White Sox was was literally washing dishes, if you will, for a sports team. Okay. So that was selling season tickets for $5.15 an hour. Three people were hired. Whoever sold the most season tickets, period, end of discussion, got an offer for a full-time job the next season for $16,000. And I was kind of hedonistic at that time and, and idealistic and said, you know, I'm not going to go to graduate school to make $5 an hour. So I went and worked in a restaurant business instead, which was you know better pay. So I took a job at Morton's okay. uh, as a server, uh, 1993. And uh, interestingly enough, I, I introduced <clears throat> fantasy football to the staff because at that time, fantasy football had only been around five, six years and people were kind of, you know, there wasn't a lot of computers, so it was all hands and sure. fax machines and telephones and things of that nature. So turned on the guys to fantasy football uh, in, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised it was even around then. I didn't, yeah, even, I, had, I didn't even know that. I had been in my fifth year of playing in 93. I played 89, 90, 91, 92, 93. Okay. So you knew what was going on. Yeah, and, and it was, I mean, we used to do draft on a telephone. We would fax. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. Old <laughs> school. I actually just quit two years ago. After 27 years, I retired, uh, which, was, which was great. So took the job with Morton's. I figured I would do it for, for about a year. Sure. Well, back up. I... I Started as a server, introduced fantasy football, then got offered a management job, okay. not coincidentally, uh, <coughs> in September, October. So I thought I'd, I'd do that for about a year. I called my best friend, who's my confidant. We've known each other since we were four years old. And I said, hey, you know, I got this, this offer to be a manager, but sure. you know, I've, it's always been my impression that a restaurant manager is like a glorified babysitter. You know, you get paid a whole bunch of money, but all you deal with is problems. People don't come to you and say, hey boss, Thanks, this is great. It's, yeah. it's like, hey, can you deal with table 41 or kind of give me a hard time? So I didn't really want to get into that. And, and my, my best friend said to me, if there ever was a person who is aligned with an industry better than you in the restaurant business, I don't know it. Wow. So I figured, okay, uh, we'll give it a run for a year and we'll see how it goes. And um, 25th May 2020 was my 27th anniversary in the restaurant business. So nice. You never know how things are going to turn out. That's wild how that conversation like yep. steered, right? Yeah, I'm not sure. 
I, I, I imagine I would have taken the job, but I might have taken it with a slightly different perspective. Mm. Um, you know, he, he's always been good at grounding me and providing me with good perspective sure. uh, in life. So sure. you know, I just kind of took a step back and said, hey, let's, let's see what we can do. Yeah. Uh, but still had only planned on doing it for a year and getting some management experience sure. under my belt and then going to work where I wanted to work. Sure. Uh, so I spent three years in Chicago. I was one year as a day manager, two years as an assistant manager. Had an opportunity to transfer to Beverly Hills or Charlotte. So, of course, I chose Beverly Hills. Uh, they sent me to Charlotte. Um, <laughs> so I moved, moved to Charlotte, uh, 7th of July, 1996, sight on um, I'll never forget driving into town. I drove from Chicago to Atlanta. Where what, my, what year is this? This is 96. Okay. Chicago to Atlanta, where my parents were living. And then I drove up 85 from Atlanta. And I coming up 85, and I saw some big buildings and thought, oh, cool, I must be rolling on downtown pretty soon. Yeah. And I kept driving by and I pulled over on 85 and I went, wow, that's the city. Because in my life I lived DC, Philadelphia, Dallas, San Francisco, Chicago. And my parents had lived in Atlanta. Yeah. Independent of me. So, yeah. you know, big cities. Yeah. I just assumed Charlotte was a big city. I didn't really know a whole lot about it. Um, so yeah, I got here and, uh, 24 years ago, it's not 24 not, years ago, not what it is today. And the first thing I do when I move to a city is drive around, yeah. right? Figure out Scope whether the grid is north, north, south, east, west, you know, which way do the streets go? Where is everything? Um, and then Charlotte was very confusing because Jones street becomes Smith street and becomes Jones street again, three, three miles later. It was, it was really confusing to figure out. But it didn't take me long to drive the streets of downtown. I mean, it's like an eight-block by eight-block grid. Yeah. Um, so I started up with Morton's uh, as a general so you, manager. So you got transferred down here. Transferred down now, here. Now, question, we'll pause for a second, yep. John. What did you learn from those first few years up in Morton's in Chicago? Anything that stand out to you that you're like, you know what, these couple of things really help? I mean, anything sure. you know, that maybe a... a, a you know, either a, a peak performer, a business owner, anybody, sure. you know, is there anything, you know, that, because I mean, to be quite honest with you, I think that's something that I would have loved to do is work for some big company before, before starting my own company, because sure. I mean, we didn't know anything. I mean, I was, you know, 22 years old, how can how much can you really know starting something? And sure. so the learning curve was just a lot uh, steeper, but in anything that stands out to you that? Yeah, I mean, certainly from a personality standpoint, you, when you work with managers, you, you take the good and you file that away sure. and then you leave the bad. Sure. You, you look and see what were the not so cool things that people did, what were ways that people treated people that you wouldn't treat people. How does your individual philosophy and, and your individual passions align with the company while keeping an eye on making sure you're not compromising your own standards. Yeah. Uh, and the great thing about Morton's was, we used to joke that Morton's was an accounting firm that sold steaks. So the accounting practices were exemplary. We used to count steaks, we used to count wine, we used to count baked potatoes, we used to count strawberries. No kidding. So it really showed you that everything in the building has value. Um, and there was great corporate structure from marketing to human resources, uh, to the accounting side, to the operations side. Um, product, uh, you gotta watch that guy. Product, uh, product quality, um, service standards. I mean, really, an unbelievable base. Wow. Um, and someone told me early on in my career in Morton's was, if you ever wanted to own your own place, this is the place to learn. That's awesome. Because it was, it was, you know, really a textbook on on how to run multi-unit operations, how to run a restaurant, 
how to look at things globally and product and, and pricing and sourcing everything. Yeah, just everything. So it was a, it was a great experience. And as I tell my kids, my kids are 18 and 20, I've told them their whole lives, it's free to pay attention. You can, you can pay all you want. So I, I paid close attention to what was going on around me. That's awesome. I mean, that, and that, those are priceless lessons. In, invaluable. Yeah, invaluable. I mean, you know, to, especially to get linked up with a, a restaurant of that, you know, stature, magnitude. Learn. I mean, I, you know, I like the uh, accounting firms. Like, like yeah. that, that's an awesome. Uh, well, and it's interesting how I got involved. So my parents would eat in that Morton's about, maybe about every other month. They would go down and, and have a steak. Um, so they're the ones that turned me on and said, hey, you might want to check out this Morton's place. Seems like a nice place to work. And yeah. my parents don't dine. My parents eat. My parents have never been in the restaurant business. They're, they're in and out in 40 minutes, even to the finest of, <laughs> the finest places in the country. Chinese food, 25 minutes. Uh, fine dining restaurant, 45 minutes That's tops. It. They're in, they're out. So I said, yeah, I'll go down and check this place out. And as it turns out, I spent three years in that restaurant managing. I hired zero bartenders. I hired zero busboys, I hired zero kids in the kitchen, and I hired three waiters in three years. So the turnover in that restaurant was completely wow. nil. So the fact that I walked in on the day that I walked in, <clears throat> interviewed, and got offered a job was just a... a Unprecedented. Yeah. It was a miracle because we didn't hire anyone. No one left. It was such a great place to work, and, and you earned such a decent living as a, uh, as a restaurant person that there was no turnover. Why, why do you think that is? Like, what was it? A lot of things. Was it what you know? The, how it was run? Was it the business? Was it everyone was making money? And when you make money, people are tend to be happy. I mean, what yes. what, what do you? Yes, Everybody, people in the restaurant business um, tend to be myopic, right? So if I make good money this week, oh, what a great what a great restaurant. If I make shitty money this week, that's oh, terrible place. <laughs> business is awful. You know, if you go and ask a server, how's business? Oh, business is terrible. You know, because it's that it's that day to day, that week to week living. So, but um, you know, it was a, it was a it was a fair wage. Um, it was a nice place to work. It was a nice culture. It was a nice environment. It was adults, um, and you dealt with at that price point. You know, excuse me, you're dealing with the top one or two percent sure. price point sure. in the country. Sure. So you're dealing with the top one or two percent uh, clientele. So you know, your your problems were so few and far between. And the guys in the kitchen were absolutely phenomenal. So in the front of the house, you never had to worry about timing of food, quality of product, temperatures, consistency. I mean, it was just it was a, it was a cool place to be. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so yeah, you're in Charlotte now. You got transferred down here. Yeah. Got transferred down here. Spent three years as a GM. I uh, was offered a job as a regional manager, which would have been over four or five restaurants. Uh, my daughter had just been born, um, and I didn't want to travel. Okay. And I knew at that time, I had already started looking for locations uh, for a restaurant in Charlotte. I moved here in 96, came up with the bright idea in about 97. Um, it was pretty soon after I moved here that, hey, there's not really a whole lot of restaurants in Charlotte. Okay. Um, I think I can make a, a nice dinner house I here I one do day. This. So I started working on it, business plan, um, location, menu, concept. Okay. Uh, projected startup costs and projected profit and loss statements. So you, I mean, you did your due diligence. Yeah, I spent, uh, I spent the better part of 97, 98, 
99, 2000, working on all that and looking at locations. In 2001, I had a location picked out. I had looked in Burkdale Village. Mm -hmm. I had looked um, at Concord Mills, which had not yet come out of the ground. Yeah, that's true. But decided that a dinner house would not, you know, the mills wouldn't be the best place for a dinner house. It yeah. would have been nicer for a more casual concept, but that's not really what I had initially. Uh, and then looked in the Hearst Tower and ultimately decided on the Hearst Tower. And we were negotiating a lease in the Hearst Tower and 9-11 came around. Wow. So airplanes went through buildings at that time. Uh, the Hearst Tower was the largest building under construction on the East Coast okay. in the second largest banking city in the country. So as you know, in 9-11, attitudes changed. You know, my investors, we all scattered. How, how, how soon were you... I mean, have you, I mean, have you pulled the trigger yet? Or are you close to? Where, where were you like? I was negotiating a lease. <sighs> that yeah. was close, right? I was negotiating a lease. So I let 2001 finish. I went back to Burkdale Village early 2002 and walked into the same trailer with the same lady leasing. And she said, oh, I, I know you. I, I, I like you. I remember, yeah. I remember what you had. She said, tell me what you're working on. Uh -huh. And at that time, I had a menu. Uh, which really was based off a menu that a friend of mine had in an existing restaurant sure. in Key West, Florida. Okay. Uh, we worked together in Morton. So I had a menu. I had startup costs. at three years profit and loss projections. And I had a business plan. So I brought all that to her and she said, cool. She said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I have a, I have a dinner house I want to do. And she said, well, we, we, we need lunch and dinner. I said, no. I said, they'll do lunch and they'll do lunch and they'll do lunch. We just have a nice sit-down white tablecloth dinner house, and she said, "Yeah, I like it. Let me uh, let me run up the flagpole." So she ran up the flagpole with the with the powers that be and called me back and said, "Let's uh, let's get to working on a lease." Nice. So we started working on this lease, and um, you know, I, I my decision-making team is comprised of me, and that's pretty much it as far <laughs> as pulling the trigger um, because I'm the guy that's got to raise the money and sign the, sign the deal. So I, I go very slowly as you can well imagine. So I had projected uh, startup costs and, um, I had bid it out to a couple of, um, contractors and I was down in Pinehurst playing golf with my dad and I get a phone call from my contractor, prospective contractor, yeah. the guy I was going to use. Yeah. And he said, Hey, do you have time to go through this? I said, well, how many pages do you have? He said, 12. I said, go to page 12. There's a big number at the bottom of that page. Tell me what that, what that number <laughs> True is. True story right now. True story. <laughs> and it was, it was $1,333 more than I had projected. $1,300. $1,333. you're dead on. Dead on. So I said, I'll call you Monday. I hung up the phone. I turned to my dad and I said, I think we're going to have a restaurant. He said, cool. Should I hit a seven iron or a six iron? So... Uh, <laughs> So yeah, it, uh, it, turned out, it turned out pretty pretty great. We just celebrated 17 years anniversary That's awesome. uh, in Burkdale. Thank you on um, uh, Tuesday of last week. Uh, so that was the first restaurant, which is affectionately known as the Mothership. Yeah. Uh, first three guys ever hired in the city of Charlotte, September 1996, still work with me wow. uh, at that restaurant. And that's really the hallmark of that restaurant is the incredible consistency because my two morning guys are the guys that I've worked with for 24 years. So when I go in that restaurant, I don't really have to taste the food. I just have to look at it because I know what it's going to taste like because they they use the same recipes for 17 years. Yeah. I just look at the consistency of the dressings and the sauces and the size of prep and things like that. So, um, you know, we have those standards in there and those guys are the ones that uphold those standards. 
chef uh, that works in there. He's been with me coming on 24 years. Um, wow. So yeah, it's a it's family-owned restaurant. It's uh, it's family environment. It's a family company, and um, I take a lot of pride in the people that I work with, uh, and I take a lot of pride in the amount of time that people spend working with us. And it shows because your people are with you. I mean, it. Uh, yeah, we you know. can't get rid of them. Um, we don't try, but uh, longevity is um, is a hallmark in our yeah in our I mean, organization. It, it, and it's. You know, as they say, proof is in the pudding. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, when you got people that have been with you 17, 20, 24 years, I mean, you know, so um, what are some things, John, that you learned from that first store? Like the first four years prepping, if somebody wants to start a, a dry cleaners, a landscape company, uh, sure. a gas station, anything, honestly, yeah. what are some things that we can we can suggest to them, you know, to... to you, know, yeah. en- you know, entering into, and in, I mean, because, you know, having a business of your own is a... A whole other ball of wax, sure. as they say. So, what are some things that you think? Some thoughts, suggestions, prep work, due diligence. You know, what are your thoughts there? So, first and foremost, when you're when you're building an organization, whether and I joke with the guys in Burkdale when I go up there, I go up there and I'll eat the food, and they'll give me a hard time for eating the food. And I said, well, hell, if we had a shoe store, I'd be wearing shoes, but we don't have a shoe store. We have a, we have a restaurant, so we eat food. Yeah. Um, so really, you know, understanding your business and not, not getting over your skis. Um, like I tell the guys, if I worked in a shoe store for 10 years, I would probably have four or five shoe stores in, in Charlotte. But I didn't work in a shoe store. I worked in a restaurant. Yeah. And, and years ago, before we started the first restaurant, my wife said, is it your life's passion to open a restaurant? I said, no, it's my life's passion to sit on the sofa and play golf. <laughs> but you get there via the lottery. So if you have a ticket, let me know where it is. If you don't, then I'm happy to do this restaurant thing because I'm, I'm pretty good at it and I know it and yeah. I enjoy the heck out of it. Yeah. So really, when you get to building an organization, and the first thing I used to teach managers when we train them at Morton's and even the guys that are with me right now, um, as, the, as the boss, you are not the answer. Uh, it's the first question I ask people. If there's a problem in the restaurant, are you the answer? Are you the, are you the problem or are you the solution? Most people will tell you that I'm the solution. I feel that I'm the problem if I have to go in and provide the solutions for my guys. Mm-hmm. There are 45 people that work in a restaurant. There's dishwashers and bussers and cooks and prep guys and servers and bartenders. They're, they're, they provide the answers. They're there every day to see what's going on, the interactions with the guests, the interactions with each other. I'm not big on identifying problems because everyone understands what the problems are. I'm big on identifying solutions. Mm. So that's my job is to be the conduit to, to let people have a forum to speak, to let people be individuals, and really to, to back up or to move forward. Um, you have to, I'm working with a guy right now who has a pizza shop. He has one pizza shop. He wants to open a second pizza shop. Yeah. He's like, well, I, I can't do it. I said, well, why not? I, I don't have anyone I can trust. I, I, don't ha- I, I have to be here. I said, well, what about that guy over there? He's been with you for, I don't know, eight or nine years? Well, hey, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I can trust him. I said, you've worked with him for eight or nine years. If you haven't put him in a position to prove to you that you can trust him, then shame on you. Yeah. I mean, what's this, what are you doing for this guy? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, part of entrepreneurship is not creating opportunities for yourself and just making money. I truly believe that entrepreneurship is creating opportunities for, 
for other people. Sure. So for us to have expanded from one restaurant to two to three to four to five, I take tremendous pride in, in that we provide a living for 250 families, not just employees, but I have a fiduciary responsibility for you and your family. Sure. So to me, that's a tremendous amount of, of pride that I yeah. take. Um, so really finding people that you can trust, compensating them well, showing people the right thing to do, and then getting the hell out of the way. They want to be told, you know, hey, here's how we do it. This is our culture. This is how we do it. This is stuff we don't do. And then get out of the way. And you come in and you say, hey, great job. Or you say, hey, Nick, don't forget, we go this way. So yeah. we have some very basic philosophies, right? Take care of the guests, have fun, make money. We don't ever talk about making money. Talking about money in the restaurant is not allowed. So servers can't come back, ooh, I got $50 tip. Conversely, oh, I got stiffed. We don't talk about money. So, exactly, take, so that's a rule. That that's you, a rule. So you, you tell the staff. Do, hey, we don't talk about money. You know, because fortunately or unfortunately, the kids in the front of the house make more money than the kids in the back of the house. I don't want kids in the front of the house running to the back of the house saying, oh, I just got a $50 tip. Yeah. Well, the guys in the back of the house, they may not know that we, we pool that, right? They, they just hear a $50 tip and they're thinking to themselves, well, I have to work three hours to make $50. Yeah. That guy just made it in 15 seconds? Yeah. You know, they don't, they don't yeah. really you know, figure out what's going on in gotcha. the front of the house. Yep. So, um, and then secondarily, uh, it's the guest first, it's the team second, and it's me third in that order. And when that order gets inverted, when it becomes all about me, then we, um, we don't ever fire anyone. We just reassign them to another restaurant company. So, and it becomes obvious uh, that, that people want to go because when it's not guest focused and it's not team focused, when it's just focused about me, we don't, we don't need that, that attitude. Um, you know, and it's, it's a simple place. We don't, it's not autocratic, it's not a dictatorship. Yeah. We, we refer to it as a democratic dictatorship, okay? Everyone has a say in what goes on. You can vote on whatever you want to vote. You can institute any changes you want to change. You just need to let me know. And if I don't agree with it, then we don't do it. Yeah. But I base my decision making on three things, right? Is it good for the guest experience? Is it good for team morale? Does it cost me money? Yeah. Okay, so if it's good for the guest and it's good for the team morale and it costs me money, fine. If I can get something that I don't have to pay for, but it's going to piss off the staff and piss off the guest, not going to do it. I'd yeah. rather go pay for something that's going to make it better than get something for free that's just going to piss people off. So, so really good tips. Yeah. I like that. I like that. That's awesome. So store one gets started, yep. right? Yep. So how, how did the first months, six months, year, how, how, you know, how was the start? I mean, so your, your first business yeah. your, for, on your own, you know, was it nervous, anxious? I mean, you obviously invested a lot of money, which you were dead on, which is insane. Yeah. How, how was that first year, first 12 months? So I look back on it in hindsight, right? And it was a million dollar project. We raised 850,000 we spent 851000 I had $150,000 SBA piece that was pulled by the SBA, by the bank, Friday before we opened on Monday. So, so we spent eight fifty one. we raised eight fifty. So we literally started with no money in the bank. But it, it didn't matter to me because 
I knew that we would be successful, right? Failing was not an option, mm. right? I, if I failed, I had to go get a job. I had had a job and, and I knew how to work if I had a job, but this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I started as the GM. I had a manager with me, 14 of the original 42 on the staff. I had worked with in the past. People had sought me out to come work with us. Yeah. Uh, one guy I had hired away from previous employment. Okay. Um, you know, we had a roadmap for what we wanted to do. We had we had a, a clear vision. We had quality product. We had a nice atmosphere, and we trained people how to take care of the guests. So to me, it was it was very simple. Um, the first week we worked seven days. The second week we worked six days. The third week we worked five days, and I, and we haven't worked more than five days a week since week three of the first restaurant what, 17 years ago. What did you learn? Did you learn anything that, you know, you just needed a break? No, it, it had nothing to do with a break. It had to do with setting up a system, uh, getting people to work with me that I trusted, okay. allowing them the freedom to do what they needed to do to be successful. I, I have one part, right? If there's 40 guys in a restaurant, 40 guys and gals in a restaurant, I have one part. Sure. Okay. I have two and a half percent that's that's what I, I'm one out of forty. Yeah. Okay. So I can only do so much. My two and a half percent. Yeah. I need the other thirty nine of you to do your two and a half percent. So, you know, it's really it's really empowering people to make decisions, trusting them to do the right thing, and then allowing them to do it. So, first year of sales. I mean, I already gave you the number about the um, the startup costs. So the first year of sales, I missed by twenty seven thousand. And that literally was just a dart. Now, before you think I'm really smart, the, the check average was higher than I thought it would be. Okay. And the guest count was lower than I thought it would be. Okay. So I thought the check average would be down here and the guest count would be here. It turns out people really embraced what we were doing. We had a wonderful wine list. We had a, a great menu. Um, it was a sit-down white tablecloth. So people came in and thought, oh, this is a nice place. I'll have an appetizer. We'll share a bottle of wine. We'll have a cocktail. So people were, were spending more money than, than I thought. But, and that's one of the things I, I learned from, from Morton's is give people an opportunity to spend. Mm. Right? Give you different avenues. Give you cocktails and a beer list and, and a wine list and apps and salads and entree. You know, make it a whole experience. Sure. So we liken it to a, a clothing store, right? You go into a clothing store, you may buy nothing. You may buy a pair of slacks. You may buy a shirt. You may buy a belt. You may buy shoes. When you go to a restaurant, you're already, you've already made a purchase, right? By, by walking into a restaurant, I walk in, it's an it's a implicit contract, I am here to spend money with you. I don't know if I'm buying the shoes and the shirt and the belt, but I'm here to have some food. Sure. So it's up to us to suggest, oh hey, you ordered a bottle of wine, would you like a glass of white wine to start with your appetizer? Would you like a cocktail to get started while we decant the wine? You know, you just give people opportunities um, to participate in the in the dining experience. It's so. a great way to think about it. Yeah. Great way to well, think about it. Well, especially in a restaurant, right? Like, you're not going to walk in a restaurant, sit down, talk to your significant other or whoever you're dining with and go, meh, I don't want to eat here. Yeah. I mean, you've already decided we're eating here. Yeah. I mean, I think I've seen it maybe every 12 to 18 months where someone will come in, sit down, look at the menu, get up and walk out. Oh, I, you know, I thought... I could get wings, or yeah. I thought this was, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. this is not what, you know. But it's rare. Very rare. <laughs> I mean, 
it's awkward to go in and walk out, right? You just go in and go, all right, we'll share something and then we'll get out of here and go to Wendy's and get something on the way yeah. home. Um, so yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting business. Now, was there, was there anything like that in Birkdale or your, in no. your area, if, you know, for people listening to this? No, I mean, good for Birkdale. Uh, they wanted you know, the high-end joint, they had the casual joint, they had the sports bar, they had the Asian, they had the Mexican, they had the pizza. So really, you know, I mean, this is how ignorant we were. The first restaurant is called Dressler's Restaurant, which is our last name. Yeah. The sign, and I didn't want to call it Dressler's. I had all these cool names. I just, I'm not a big ego guy. I wasn't a fan of seeing my name up in lights. Like, uh -huh. it wasn't like, ooh, look, I've made it. Yeah. I mean, I had names like Equinox and like all these cool names uh, for a dinner joint, right? Sure. So they, the marketing people, my wife, they said, hey, it's, it's your place. You're going to be there. You need to put your name on it. Okay. Okay, fine. So we put a sign up that says Dresslers. Not Dresslers Restaurant. Dresslers. Well, people didn't know who Dresslers was. <laughs> I mean, it's just like White House Black Market. Uh, you know, it just there were so many of these retail shops in there. Yeah. And then we had a sign that said Dresslers. So we opened on a Monday, September uh, 22nd, 2003. It was a rainy Monday. And, and I, my, my role was the maitre d', right? I would stand up front, I would greet and seat and meet, shake the babies, kiss the hands, you yeah. know, do all that stuff. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm standing up front, we unlock the door and I'm standing there, I'm standing there, I'm waiting, pull the door, you know, okay, it's unlocked, waiting, <laughs> waiting. First two guys come in. Yeah. I'm like, hey, how you guys doing? I'm like, oh, cool, we're gonna get a drink. So they sit down at the bar. It's uh, Scott Brady and Christian Militello. You still remember these? Oh guys? yeah. Sit down at the bar. I'm standing over their shoulder. You know, how you doing, fellas? Hey, good to You're have you. You're fired up. You're excited. Oh yeah, I'm all fired up. Goes. First guys in. So they order a drink. I turn to the bartender, Kevin, who we had worked together for three years, and yeah. he still works with me. So yeah. we just passed twenty years. Um, I said, hey, buy the boys a drink. Yeah. I said, no, 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 no. I said, charge the boys a drink so that they have the distinction of spending the first nickel ever at Dressler's and buy them the second drink. So sure enough, we opened the second restaurant, first day, first minute we're open, Christian Militello, Scott Brady walk in the door. We opened the third restaurant, first minute, Christian Militello, Scott Brady the walk in the door. The same guys. We opened the fourth restaurant, Scott Brady had moved uh. to Michigan. Christian Militello comes in, with his, comes in with his lady friend, first people in. Nice. We opened the fifth restaurant, Waiting, 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 nothing. Whole night, nothing. Day two, unlock the door. First person in, Christian Militello. I couldn't make it yesterday. I tried. I couldn't make it, man. I'm so sorry. So it's that, you know, it's that kind of family spirit and, and that. loyalty that, that you try to breed um, with your guests. So I, That is the coolest yeah. thing. I can't even... And I still talk to both those boys. Nice, yeah. nice. That's awesome. So how... So how long until maybe store or uh, restaurant number two? Uh, yeah, so, how, how, I mean, so we it? opened September of 03 and we were working about six months and I'm sitting home uh, having dinner with my wife one night and I said to her, direct quote, what else? She said, what, what do you mean? I said, well, what else? I said, you know, do I want to do that forever or do we want to try something else? She's yeah. like, what are, you, what are you talking about? She's, she's, she's clueless. Well, because the plan was open one restaurant. Yeah. Have a lovely, lovely place to work. Sure. Nice dinner house. Yeah, yeah. Work there three, four, five nights a week, whatever the business dictated. Yeah. And, and make a decent <clears throat> living. 
and that was it. And we'll, yeah. you know, we'll live over here and we'll have a, have a, nice, a nice life. Yeah. So I said, well, what else? She said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, I, I need an, another challenge. It's, it's, not gonna, it's not gonna make it for 30 years. So we started working on the second concept, which failed. Okay. Uh, we opened that uh, in uh, February of 2007. Okay. And that was called Max's Alley, which at the time was named after Max and Alley. Okay. My kids. Yeah. Um, learned a lot of lessons. Uh, one thing I teach my kids um, is life is great when life is great, but you show your true character when you're placed in a position of adversity. So I had one restaurant that was winning, one restaurant that was dying on the vine. Um, it was sad and unfortunate. It was just a complete miscalculation. I look back on some of the errors that I made um, and I learned from those. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, the adage is true. You learn more from failure than you do from success. 100%. You know, it's how you handle success, right? A anyone can be successful, but it's, it's how you handle your, your success. Um, you know, it's, it's win with class and, and lose with dignity or sure. win with dignity and lose with class any, any way you want to do it. So, you know, we had this second restaurant, 2008 came around and, you know, the economy took a bite out of everything and I didn't make the proper adjustments and I'm not really sure if we had the right location or concept, you know, everything was wrong. Sure. I, I could go back through a litany of, of reasons, but it, it's not relevant. It, it went away. So that restaurant closed July of 2010. We had an opportunity in 2007, right after we opened Max's Alley, I started negotiating for a third restaurant. Okay. Looked to my wife and said, what else? She's like, oh, you're crazy. <laughs> Ever since then, she's like, I don't even want to talk to you. You're crazy. So we started negotiating for Dressler's in the Metropolitan okay. through 2008, 2009. Ultimately, we were able to craft out a great deal uh, and open that restaurant in 2010. And I remember sitting in the office one day and my wife said to me, how in good conscience can you open a restaurant knowing that you have a restaurant that's failing? And I looked around on my desk and I found a bunch of bills and I said, here, I have all these bills that I'm gonna need to pay. I said, do you know someone that, that can pay them for me? And she said, no. I said, well, then I need to keep moving forward and, mm. and try this restaurant because I think it's gonna be great. Yeah. And then I can pay for all those bills and then we can move forward in our life. On. And she said, well, what if it doesn't work? And I said, well, failing's not an option. However, if it doesn't work, and I have now two restaurants that have failed, and we file bankruptcy and make it work. Just do what you need to do. I said, I've already talked to the bankruptcy attorney. She said I could file today if I wanted, but I don't want them telling me where I can eat and where I can sleep and where I can visit. I, I want to figure out how to pay everything and, and pay everyone back. So Good for you. that's what we did. So we opened, uh, opened a third restaurant went back to the Dressler's name because we, we knew that and it was a brand that was comfortable in the market. Um, and then we started, uh, we started diversifying. Uh, Dogwood Southern Table came in 2015 in, in South Park. Uh, the Porter's House came in 2017 in, in Waverly, Providence and 485. And then Finn and Fina was a wonderful opportunity excuse me, uh, in downtown Charlotte in 2018. So. What, um, anything that you've learned from those, like the last last few stores? Or, or I mean, even from maybe, or the other dresslers, any, anything that maybe you pivoted, adjusted, I mean, anything like that? that yeah, I mean, you, 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 certainly, you certainly learn 
you know, when you have kids, you learn a little better how to parent the second kid or sure. differently, not necessarily better, but differently. You build a house, you build another house, you say, well, that wall shouldn't be here and we should put this over here. So it's the same thing when you design a restaurant and, and put them together, you stick to your core philosophies as far as your culture. Uh, for example, the first day of training in each restaurant is called is culture day. So everyone shows up, front of house, back of house, and, and I will MC, if you will, and we'll sit there for about four hours and everyone tells me their story. Where are you from? And I ask the questions. Where are you from? You have brothers and sisters, parents still alive, where'd you go to school? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Why are you here? And we just kind of zip all around the room and someone will say something that'll spur some story and I'll go off on a tangent and tell some story. So it really kind of indoctrinates people into that culture. So we've kept that consistency. And what do you learn? You learn that people like hanging out in bars. So we made the bars bigger and more comfortable. Uh, we've made the, the menus more shareable, um, you know, more small plates and, and shareable. So each concept had its own identity. Dogwood was half bar, half dining room. Porter's house was more of a, a steakhouse, yeah. uh, and Finn and Fino's small plates oyster house. So yeah, just something different, and uh, and run with it. Now, um, now having the 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 five restaurants now, you know you've you're, you've learned some patterns, right? Mm -hmm. Like some, you know, um, anything else that maybe you can you can talk about as far as just you know um, you know starting a store, concepts. I mean, anything anything like that that location business deal the lease yeah um the menu you know the concept um the people and the capital you know first lesson they teach you in graduate school is the capital markets are unlimited right so if you have some brilliant idea and i've met with dozens of people through the years that seek advice and counsel and they bring me their idea and i said well you know, you're opening a restaurant in Greenville, South Carolina. I can't tell you if Turkish food on the corner of 8th and Main Street is what the people are dying for. Mm -hmm. So, but I'm asking a bunch of questions from the business side of it. Sure. You know, who's going to run it? What's the structure going to look like? How's your financing? You know, what, what's your, how are you paying back partners if you have partners? What's your banking piece? What's your lease look like? What is your, you know, so, you know, understanding the, the business side of it is, in my opinion, well more important than understanding the food side of it mm. because I can always go find a chef who's smarter than me. I can always find a manager who's smarter than me. Um, you know, identifying the fact that you're not the smartest person in the room is, is an outstanding trait to have. Um, I consider myself to be above average intelligence, which means that there's 49.99999% of the world that's smarter than me. Okay, I'm just above average intelligence. So, you know, it's finding those people that are that are bright and motivated, and getting them involved in your in your organization, um, paying people um, so that they don't leave. Yeah, um, is is part of it. Making it a comfortable environment where people are appreciated and and individualism. Um, you know, nowadays uh, the culture of inclusion and you know it's all kind of buzzwords, but I mean it's something that that we talked about 20 years ago. Um, you know, black, white, green, religion, sexual orientation, and none of this stuff matters at all. Yeah. I mean, I've got two men that, that are 
desiring to be women right now working in organization. I mean, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't care what people do. Yeah. Um, your your individuality has always been embraced in sure. our organization. Sure. Um, and you just treat people with respect and and have them understand that that family is is the most important thing. So, and it's not saying it; it's 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 doing it. Show when me. we went into the pandemic, uh, I went around the the Saturday before the governor shut us down, had an emergency meeting in each restaurant and said, the end is near, the end is near. Repent, right now. So the end is near, the end is near. I said, I'll make you two promises. I will feed you and your family and we will reopen these restaurants. And that's what we did. And for 14 weeks on Monday, I wrote the staff in English and Spanish an email that said, this is what we're doing this week. Not, this is where I think Corona is or this is what I think is gonna happen in our, this is what we're doing this week. This is where you get food. This is who you got to contact. This is tell me how many people we're feeding. This is what we're doing for the guests for carry out. This is what we're, you know, this is unemployment. And it was all very real and very straightforward stuff. Mm. Um, you know, when we got into PPP versus unemployment insurance and, and hey, when, when you have a job, take a job, don't stay on unemployment because the benefit's going to run out, but the job's not going to run out. And if I offer you a job today, take it because it might not exist tomorrow when yeah. you're ready to come back off unemployment. So, point. you know, some real, real conversations and, uh, and difficult. So what have I learned? Let me get back to your question. What have I learned through the years? Yeah. Um, make sure you're well capitalized. Um, and, and, you know, there's not a better time uh, than now. He, he loves the spotlight. Does he? He's, yeah, good. He's, he's, he's good. He's good. I like cats. Very, very social man. Um, you know, there's... There's n never been a better time than now to understand that being well capitalized. You know, restaurants fail for a myriad of reasons. Bad location, they suck, and they're undercapitalized. Mm -hmm. And really a lot of them will die because they're undercapitalized. Um, so that's the biggest lesson. And that, that's kind of come through in the pandemic. And that's why I could promise the people that, hey, we're going to reopen these restaurants. And if there's 10 restaurants alive in Charlotte today, there may only be seven alive when we get through the pandemic, whatever that looks like, yeah. we'll be one of the seven. Do you think that, because <clears throat> I know a lot of the restaurants have taken a big hit mm -hmm. the last four or five months. Sure. Do you think it's because of that, you know, being, you know, undercapitalized? Is, is that, I mean, what, you know. It, well, there's, there's three kinds of capitalized restaurants. And, okay. and you probably notice that I kind of compartmentalize everything into threes. Yeah. Because it goes back to when you have conflicts and people's houses, right? There's her side, there's his side, and there's the truth. So you know, <laughs> everything's kind of a, a three-pronged, everything's kind of a three-pronged deal for me. Okay. Um, so uh, what was the question? I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, with, with, with the restaurant industry getting so Oh, yes, hurt, capitalized, yeah. I mean, what, I mean, you know. So, so you have three kinds of capitalized people. You have well-capitalized, right, that they'll be able to withstand it. Uh, you have people that, um, wait for Friday and Saturday and Sunday deposits to hit, and then they can go and pay their to bills, pay, yeah. right? So they've got about, you know, 60 to 90 days of life. And then there's the people that, that live day to day and don't really pay their bills on time and just kind of get by and rob Peter to pay Paul and, you know, try to wait for a good month and yeah. make it all work out. Yeah. Um, and that, that's, a, that's a, you know, the pandemic has certainly taught people, that's a surefire way to die. Um, we keep six figures in the restaurant. That's part of the initial capital raise. I don't ever touch it. Always stays there. Yeah. 
So, you know, and uh, I mean, we've been hurt as much as everyone else, if not more, because we're, our food doesn't lend well to a carryout. Yeah. You know, we're an experiential place and yeah. we're kind of higher end. So, you know, you don't want to take a piece of fish that was cooked at six o'clock and get it to your house at 625 and, and eat it. Um, so, you know, we've seen sales drop uh, from 30 to 70 percent. Um, you know, we've we've worked with landlords. We've we've worked with um, you know the people, the guys that, that work with us. I mean, everyone right now, everyone's making sacrifices, and um, there's definitely been a shift in economics. Um, but you know, it's for the livelihood. You know, I told the guys, I said, sure, I can pay you 100 percent, right, and then we can die here, or I can pay you less than 100 percent, and we can live it out. Extended, yeah. And you know. God bless if we have money and, and things start turning around and here's a bunch of money. Sure. Thanks for doing it. So, but right now it's, uh, it's, um, it's team first. John, this has been amazing. Any, any, any last thoughts? Any last thoughts to, you know, to your story, to suggestions, to anybody that wants to win out there? I mean, because a lot of the stuff that, you, that you're talking about, yes, we're talking about restaurants right now and, sure. and the food industry, but... Sure. I mean, you can take a lot of these, you know, uh, yeah. three prong, you know, examples and analogies and, um, you know, team first culture. I mean, th yeah. th this is universal. I mean, you can yes, literally is. do it in any industry. Um, any, any last thoughts to, um, yes, you know, stay, uh, stay true to your vision. Um, understand that stress is something you place upon yourself when you don't feel you can accomplish the task at hand. Mm. So if you feel that what you're going into, you can accomplish there's really no reason to stress about it. You know, it might take you four hours instead of two hours or a week instead of three days, but know that you're gonna accomplish it. Um, keep a vision, uh, establish a culture, and, and maintain the culture, and, and be consistent as hell. Um, you know, we have an adage in our organization, change is okay as long as it's not different, but really the basis of that is the culture will never change. And we will never open a restaurant unless I can ensure that the culture is going to be what the culture is today, what it was 15 years ago, and what it'll be 10 years from now. So, keep that uh, keep that vision. I love that. Appreciate I love that. It. I mean, I um, I really really enjoyed this. I think I think this was, you know, from your story, which is so unique and interesting, and finance background, Morton, Chicago, traveling to different cities. I love that. The preparation of your first store, opening up number two, learning that, you know, how, how that you could have shifted and adjusted to, to, you know, and then all the success that you've had. Honestly, it does not surprise me that you have so many successful stores, right? Businesses, restaurants right now. I appreciate I mean, that. It, um, uh, it shows. It shows and you, you, you care about the people, you care about the product, you care about... Um, you know, the, uh, the guest, everything, you know, so. Yeah. So one last piece I, yeah. I heard yeah, years ahead. ago that you'll never work a day in your life if you love what you do. So, you know, that thing about, yeah. Yeah. is it my life's passion to open yeah. a restaurant? No, it's my life's passion to win the lottery and sit around. <laughs> but, um, I love what I do. I, I honestly, I love what I do. And I'll joke about it with the guests all the time. I'm like, man, they pay me to do this. <laughs> like they pay me to hang out here and goof around. So just, you know, just have fun. It's I hard work. That. I love that. It's hard work, but uh, you got to have fun. 100%. Appreciate 100%. it. 100%. Well, I love this episode 17 in the books. Uh, you know, John Dressler, we, you know, guest on tonight. Uh, today, we 
absolutely loved it. And so appreciate your time. Thank you so much for hanging with us Pleasure. and allowing us over here you know, to the, to the sure. house. And uh, cool. Good to see you guys. If you guys have not uh, shared or liked um, you know, our podcast, go ahead and do that. You know, share it with a friend that you think you know, might enjoy some, some, some tips uh, of uh, entrepreneurship and business ownership. So anyway, with that, thank you guys. We'll see you next time.